Good evening. It is good to see each of you. What a wonderful, wonderful time to be together to worship God. What a wonderful time Wednesday and Sunday evenings are uh, to be able to do that. If you would be opening your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter. 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter. We want to think about responsibilities that God gives us as we look to this evening. And the mark of this evening that it will leave upon the history of us as a congregation and hopefully the work uh, that it will enable us to do even to greater effect and greater glory uh, toward God. Many of you would have read Burton Kaufman's commentaries and know of the great work that he has done as a one man writing commentary all the way through the Bible throughout his life. It's a great work. In this work, he also wrote some articles along the way, obviously. And I generally do not read um, just articles this long to you, but I've held on to this for a lot of years. I probably first read this 15 years ago, and it meant a lot to me. And, and, and I, he just communicates a lot of what we're thinking about tonight. An elder. An elder is a man subject to errors of judgment. Yet he must go ahead with courage to make decisions knowing he could be wrong. It's not possible to know 100% of all things before reaching a decision. An elder is a man enjoying the approval of those he leads. Yet he must have the courage to make decisions based upon his spiritual and intellectual judgment knowing it may cost him the favor of others. An elder is a husband aware of the frailty of human family. Yet, he must proceed with courage and leadership knowing his family will, by association, fall heir to some criticism directed at him. An elder is a man, a student of mankind and time. Yet, he can not remain simply a student. He must be a teacher, knowing that ultimate direction of the church and its growth in the future depends upon his reactions today. An elder is a man conscious of his responsibility, yet he must have the courage to trust others with responsibility, knowing they may fumble, they may quit, or they may ignore assignment. An elder is a man awed by the power of God, yet his love for the souls of men causes him to accept the office of bishop, knowing that one day, he will stand in God's presence and give an account of his own dealings with those he has to lead. It is likely that no man on earth would accept the challenge of leading as an elder if God had not promised wisdom from above and inner strength of character that come from his eternal presence. Being a part of God's work, an amazing responsibility and a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And tonight, what I hope that we see from a study of 1 Thessalonians 5, that is God, through Paul, speaks here to the brethren of Thessalonica, but recorded by holy inspiration, and so it's to us today, is that as he addresses elders, it's interwoven there that he also addresses the church. Listen, there's no eldership that's going to do a great job unless... Uh, church family believes that it's their responsibility to walk right along with the elders. 
It's not that, that the elders walk out front and they lead and that's all that matters. What good is a leadership if there's not fellowship? And so as we look here at this, I want you to notice we will do a point one, point two, and point three. We're going to look at the responsibility that the church has to their leaders. And then that the leaders has to the church. And then that all of us have. But even though we're dissecting it down that way, don't lose sight of the fact that God speaks of these in an interwoven way. That it truly is a blessing to be able to work together. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verse 11, we'll read, but then especially in verse 12 is what we're moving toward. And 11, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. So we've got comfort coming up along beside each other and edifying, building up one another, just as you also are doing. What a wonderful compliment. Hopefully that's a description of the Mount Juliet congregation that we're constantly encouraging each other, edifying each other, walking along with each other. And notice 12 begins with and. There's a reason why they're able to accomplish that. It's because of this. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both of yourself and for all. Let's back up now to verse 12, and let's think of the responsibility here that the church has toward her elders. Did you notice there it says to recognize? Some translations would probably say to know them, to recognize them. You see, it's the idea of knowing, being aware, to perceive. What effort are you making to know your elders? You know, it's one thing to say, well, my elders ought to get to know me. Yes, God says you ought to get to know your elders. If we are going to be what God wants us to be, we're going to recognize the beauty of the organization that God has given to the church. We need to be aware of not only that organization as God has given it, but also the men that God has put in place. Do you know them? Do you know that they have challenges and struggles? Do you know that they enjoy friendships and encouragement? Do you know that you could make a difference in lifting up your elders? Do you recognize them? Do you know them? Do you know them for what? Well, there's a few things that we ought to know. We ought to know, see there in verse 12 again, we ought to know that they labor among you and they are over you in the Lord and that they admonish you. Now, if they're going to labor among us, that somewhat implies the fact that we ought to be working together. Are we working along with how and what direction and what work our elders are leading us in? I like to think there's a rule of thumb the Mount Juliet congregation is doing that. But the question is, not as as a rule of thumb across the Mount Juliet congregation, but are you? Are you working along with the elders? Are you allowing them to rule over you? Are you allowing them to admonish you? 
Admonish literally means to place in mind. You know, if, if you need to place something in someone else's mind, wouldn't it be great? And I'm sure some of you have seen some clip art like this where, where you just kind of unclick the top part of a person's uh, head and you just open it up and you just pour the knowledge in and you close it back down. That literally is like a picture of what admonish really means. That's what it means. It means to place into someone's mind, but you and I know that it doesn't work like that. Listen, you can't admonish someone who doesn't want to be admonished. Have you put yourself in the place that God wants you to be? Where the elders are in your life and you've made an effort to know them. You've made an effort to let them rule over you. You've made an effort to labor with them. You've made an effort to let them place the truth in your mind. Now, there's also in the next verse some words that You know, we use the word very, oftentimes exaggerating. But think about the fact that God was not exaggerating here. I'd like for you to look at verse 15 again and notice what he says. He's talking to us as followers about our leaders. And he says, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Do you do that? Esteem the elders very highly in love for their work's sake. Notice it doesn't say you esteem them very highly because you have the same personality, because you're the same age, because you're a peer group, because you you live in the same neighborhood, because you work the same line of business. It doesn't say that. He says you esteem them very highly for their work's sake. How much you love God? how much you love Christ, how much you love His body, the church, how much you love, do you love the work of the church, how much do you love the organization of that church that God has given, how much do you esteem them highly for the work that they do? Could there be a greater responsibility than to say, I'll help lead the Mount Juliet congregation of the Lord's church to heaven. There's not a greater responsibility that a man could have. We are supposed to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. But now second, let's see something else tonight. Throughout these same verses, we also see things that were taught about what the elders are to do. And you probably noticed some of those, but let's back up in verse 12. Notice we, we see things about, like in verse 12, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. And implied there again, those who are over you in the Lord and those who admonish you. And so now we see the responsibility that is given here in Thessalonica to the elders that these are things that they are to offer to the people that they lead as those that would be over them. Notice there it says, labor among you. The more I study this word among as it relates to leaders and especially as the Lord uses it in scriptures with leaders and especially elders, it's so important. Shepherds, They live among the sheep. Do you remember in John, the first chapter, 
We have Christ who became flesh and He dwelt where? Among us. What impact did Christ have upon the earth? And would He have had the same impact if He would have chosen to never come to earth? What if He would have just sent a message that said, I love you enough, I would have been willing to die for you. I love you enough, I would have been willing to become a man. I would have been willing to walk among you, but then not do it. Would you wonder if He really did? How well do you feel like as a human race we would know Jesus? What difference does it make that He has come and He has dwelt among us? You know, later on in in late February and then into March and April, we'll be talking quite a bit more uh, about the idea of having an elder in every Bible class, adult Bible class. Why is that a benefit? What about if everybody here felt like that they knew an elder very well? What about if they knew every week they were going to live among one of the elders? Think of the blessing that that would be just created in that environment that we're already in every week. Why? It's important for the elders to live among the people. Why? You can labor with people and you can actually help them grow in their work when you're working with them. You know, when I think about helping individuals grow, whether it's parents helping children grow, or if it's someone that's more mature, mature spiritually helping someone who is younger spiritually, It's one thing to sit down and explain to someone how to work and how they ought to work. But it's another thing to roll up the sleeves and say, you want to work together on this? That's where you learn. That's where you get the most out of it. And that's where you're pushed forward. How wonderful it is that we have the opportunity to labor among our elders, because they labor among us. But I'd like for you to also notice that they're over you. Hold your finger here and drop back to Acts, the 20th chapter. You remember when Paul was writing to the elders, and we don't have a slide for this, but Acts, the 20th chapter, when he was speaking to the elders at Ephesus, he called them down. He'd lived with these folks for three years. He loved this church much, and he spends time here with the elders. And he says in 28, Acts 20 and 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. So back in Thessalonians, that's our text for tonight, he says that you are to be an overseer. But notice here he makes it real clear that elders are overseeing. In other words, it's not their church. It's the church that belongs to God that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and they have the responsibility to be a steward of that church, to be a shepherd caring for sheep who ultimately belong to God. Again, that's a huge and a heavy and a very important responsibility. But now... 
I'd like for you to notice a third thing that we begin seeing great signs of this in that last sentence in verse 13. And let's think about everybody's responsibility. We've seen from this the responsibility that the church is to have toward the elders. The elders are to have towards the church. But notice this. Be at peace among yourselves. You remember in Ephesians 4 and verse 3 that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And endeavoring is a strong word that, that you pursue it. You give everything that you have. And so what an elder is supposed to do, they're supposed to give everything they have to pursue peace among God's people. Not sacrificing truth, but to pursue peace. Well, what, are the, what is the membership to do? The membership is to pursue peace. In other words, these are words here that he writes to everyone. You know, that term in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew the 5th chapter, blessed are the peacemakers. Have you ever thought about what is required to make peace? You know, I think about a cabinet maker. Or I think about someone who would make a piece of furniture. Someone made this. It didn't just evolve. It didn't just grow here. It was made. I would suggest that whatever degree of peace that you believe that we enjoy as a congregation, it is the direct result that you and the people around you have made it. Peace doesn't just happen. Peace is made. You know that we're blessed to have an eldership who pursues godly peace. We're blessed to have a congregation that pursues godly peace. But if we want it next week, it still has to be pursued next week. And if we want it throughout 2012, it has to be pursued. It can never be taken for granted, and it never is put on autopilot. It is what we continue to pursue. Well, what might it look like? I, I believe we could literally make a hundred applications here, but let's end this lesson by making the application that Paul makes to those of Thessalonica right here. Notice what it might look like if we were pursuing peace. Here's one application, and we go back to verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, and we have about four layouts here. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak and be patient with all. Someone who is unruly. What are we supposed to do? Well, I tell you what, I, I, just, I don't like dealing with people like that. I don't like confrontation. I'm just going to kind of put my head in the sand, and I want to hope that everything's all right. And God says, no, peace has to be made. Somebody has to go and confront the person who's being unruly. Just last week, Tracy and I heard of a situation at a church somewhere else that where someone kind of made an unruly threat. And it just Tracy and I talking. And I said... I kind of laughed and I said, uh, well, first I said, well, what, what are they going to do? And they said, well, they don't know what they're going to do. And then I just kind of smiled 
And I said, can you imagine? And she finished the sentence. I said, can you imagine? And she said, what our elders would do? And we didn't have to finish anymore. Listen, because you're meek and gentle doesn't mean that you cower down when unruliness is setting in. Those who are meek and gentle, they bow up and stand strong to warn against unruliness. That's not only true for an eldership. That's true for a congregation. We, every one of us, we can put an end to gossip. We warn those who are unruly. We can put an end to laziness. We warn those who are apathetic in the work of the church. But notice, not everything and everyone is approached with a warning. Notice the next group. The next group he talks about is the faint-hearted. It literally means weak of spirit. So, so now instead of having someone who is unruly, now we, now we have someone who, who just doesn't have the strength to go on. Maybe they're young spiritually or probably they've gone through something that's so great. Well, what are we supposed to do? Go and, and with that same demeanor to say, I'm warning you, you better just pick up your spirit. And isn't it interesting? He doesn't say you warn them. Instead, it would require wisdom to know the difference. But notice, here he says, I want you to comfort them. And the word comfort means to come along beside others. Are you willing to go beside someone that just feels like they can't go on? They feel like their spirit is so weakened? Are you willing to walk with them? To come along beside them? And to help them along the way? And even though it sounds very similar, there's a difference. Notice the next one. The next one is to uphold the weak. This idea of uphold in the Greek is not only the idea to hold up, it is also even more so the idea to hang on. Now think about this. We have a brother or a sister that is weak at this particular moment. We are on our way to heaven. We're on a pilgrimage. We're not standing still. We're on a journey toward heaven. And the world is pulling them back. And the question and the command that Paul gives here is he says, who is it that's going to hold on to them and say, I'm not turning loose of you. We are walking forward. And I know you're weak. And I know you need strength right now. And that's why I'm holding on. I'm here to give you strength. And then out of all the examples he could give, this last one is appropriate in every situation. Be patient with all. Suffer long. It's not about us. We need to help the weak. It requires sacrifice. We need to hold up the faint-hearted, even when it requires sacrifice. We need to warn the unruly, even when we say, I hate having to do that. It's not about us. That's where the patience comes in. That's where the endurance comes in. Why? Because we have the power, and we're not going to elaborate on this, but I just want you to see this in 15. We have the power to end anything that is wrong. 
See in 15? See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Pursue. Chase down that which is good. How? When evil is done to you, be patient. Suffer long. And when evil is done with you, to you, our human nature is, I can strike back evil in return. Instead, he says, don't do it. This is being a peacemaker. This is being patient. This is a time for you to return good for evil. And you've put an end to the evil. This is a time to do what is best for a few and for all. Tonight, I hope you realize what we enjoy. I know we're not perfect people. I know we're not a perfect congregation. But we enjoy peace. And we enjoy the work that God has given us to do. And we enjoy the potential that He's laid out in front of us. But friends, if it's going to be that way in the future, we have to have elders that's going to continue to lead that way and members that's going to have to be willing to follow that way. And tonight, let's appreciate that. Let's love that. And let's support and encourage each other for God's glory. In just a few minutes, our elders are going to come forward and they're going to pray for Randy and for James. Before we sing a song of invitation, I'd like for us to pause and I'd like for us to say a prayer in gratitude for our elders. Let's pray. Our most gracious God, we love you, God, and we realize that you blessed us in more ways than what we can count, but God, we always want to be grateful. And at this time, God, we're mindful of your beautiful design of the church, and we're mindful especially of this congregation of your people here at Mount Juliet. And Lord, we're mindful that you have blessed us with such good and godly men that have served us as elders. And God, we pause from the depths of our being with genuine gratitude to say thank you. God, we try to imagine the hours that they give, the depths of their heart and the burdens that they carry, and we thank you. God, we ask you to give them wisdom. We ask you to give them strength to continue to oversee us and to live among us and labor among us, and to admonish us. God, we pray that we truly will esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. God, we pray that as Hebrews 13 teaches, that we would make their job a joy and not a burden. God, in just a moment, We're going to sing a song of encouragement and we pray for each one in this room. And if their soul is not right with you, we pray that they would make that turn in their life tonight.
Give us the courage, Lord, to walk with you no matter what the cost. Help us to allow you to be the God of our life at all times and all ways. And it's through your son's name we pray. And amen. If you've never been immersed into Christ, or you want to come back, we'd love to encourage you and to assist you, pray with you, and help you in any way that we can. Come as we stand, as we sing.